welcome back to the One Goal U.S. Soccer Podcast. My name is Matthew Singer, and we'll be talking all things U.S. soccer. As always, George, how are you doing today? I'm doing absolutely wonderful today, Matt. Awesome. You got your power back and working? Yes, I did. Got it back late last night. Awesome. We've had a busy couple of days here with American soccer. MLS semifinal game one last night, Portland defeating Philadelphia. And then tonight we have Orlando versus Minnesota. We have Conrad De La Fuente making the Champions League squad for Barcelona. We had John Brooks and Wolfsburg lose yesterday to Shakhtar Donsek. Got a couple of friendlies coming up. Gio Reyna and Dortmund next Wednesday. And then Ajax, Serginho Dest, they were friendly this weekend. We also had some big news. Stephen Goff reported that there may be a Euro-based squad in November that could take on Wales. So things are looking up for U.S. soccer. Not to mention that today we'll be joined by Colorado Rapids winger Jonathan Lewis and talk MLS is back, where his career has taken him, and his future aspirations. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe. And yes, we are finally on Google Podcasts, so check us out there wherever you get your podcasts. All right, George, so last night we had the Portland Timbers defeat the Philadelphia Union, and we actually recorded a podcast last night. And in that podcast, I predicted that Portland was going to win, and they did. Before getting into the Orlando-Minnesota game, do you have any thoughts on that game? Anything you saw that's interesting? Yeah, I think, obviously, late tournament game, there was you know some fatigue, wasn't as sharp from both sides. All three goals came from set pieces. So, But I think in the end, I'd say last 15 minutes, Philly, you know, obviously knew it was do or die. They had to go and attack. Brendan Aronson, you know, had a very solid, very active those last 15 minutes. He started the play that led to the goal that was offsides, almost got a wonderful assist. So, yeah, I think it was it was expected. It was one of those things where there's fatigue on both sides. It's been a long tournament. And in the end, the more experienced team won. Yeah, no, I remember we were talking about yesterday. That was kind of my takeaway. So you look at Portland, just one of those teams who's kind of been there before. And it's kind of nice to see a Boba C who is, I guess, their face of young homegrown players. You know, like we mentioned they don't have a bunch of homegrown players. They had three in their photo. And I think Philadelphia had like seven or eight. And there's a Twitter photo that said, like, who have the homegrowns on both teams. And so they're not necessarily the most uh, USMNT friendly uh, franchise, but they also do have Jorge Villafania and a couple of weird guys sprinkled in there. But I guess it was just kind of cool to see Bowie continue his scoring streak, and he's looked to be a really strong player, and hopefully he can continue this form after the tournament. And it was funny because I also read something that said, like, Club Bruges really watching this game for Brendan Aronson, and he was really good. He was kind of a jitterbug the whole game, but it was also cool to see Obobasi, who's never really been in the European conversation, continue to show out. So I just, and transitioning to the next game, we have Orlando versus Minnesota tonight. Two expansion teams who no one really expected to be here. Uh, do you have a prediction and kind of your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think this this one's going to be interesting because it's another two teams that have ridden that underdog tag. Minnesota especially, you know, Taylor told me you've seen them get on their case saying, who's calling you guys an underdog? But it's true. If you ask before the tournament who are your last four teams, I'd be surprised if anyone said Minnesota's name. I think they have that chip on the shoulder. And then Orlando, too. I don't remember the exact number, but I think, you know, in their last 16 games, they had something around like two wins or something. Even though it was, you know, their hometown tournament, no one expected them to get this far. And I think personally, like I said, you know, fatigue is going to set in. It's been a long tournament. And while these two teams are underdogs, Minnesota's more of a team. Can't really pick out who's a star player, especially because Ico Parr's out of the tournament. But Orlando City has Nani. And these big-name DPs are signed to show out in moments like these. He scored the game winner in their first game. He missed the penalty kick and then scored the winning PK in their last one. So he has shown he's the guy for the big moment. And in a game like this where it's going to be tired, 
and probably will be a little sloppy at times. You know, you expect those big name guys to show up and Orlando City has one and Minnesota doesn't. So I think, you know, Orlando might have the edge just because of Nani. Yeah, no, I agree. I think another thing that really bodes well for Orlando is Oscar Parejo. And I think he's done really well with FC Dallas and he's transitioned to this Orlando City side. And it's taken a little bit longer than people expected. But as you mentioned with Nani, and they kind of have the star player and Chris Mueller, Dom Dwyer. You know, there, there's there's a good amount of combinations of international players, young up and coming players, and it all kind of culminates into a coach that has his players really buying into his system. And I think you know Minnesota, Asani Dotson, Chase Gaspar, they've had a few players here and there that can do stuff. And I wouldn't count them out necessarily, but I think that when you the fact that they have a, a solid coach in Orlando City with Oscar Perea, and then you add in Nani. You know, it's hard to argue with those two pillars against a team that really isn't proven. And that's not to say that Orlando is proven, but again, it's like they have these two pillars that give them a pretty easy advantage. And if Minnesota had a Kapar, I think maybe it'd be a different game, but that's why they're going to play, and we'll see what happens. Right. Yeah, I think I think that's the thing. Just two very, you know, under-the-radar teams competing against each other. So, you know, it's just who's going to seize the moment. It, I think it's going to be an interesting one to see, and I think both teams won't be scared of Portland. I think both teams, if they win this game, they think they're going to win. And I think that's why it's an exciting prospect. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it's one of those things where it's like the hottest team is going to win. Because like you mentioned before, neither one of these teams, I bet you if you ask the players, I don't think they really believe in their own team, that they could make an entire run through the tournament. But whoever comes out of this game, there's no reason why they couldn't win the whole thing. You know, it's like there's no fans. There's no real advantage to be playing at home or to be playing away. It's like, okay, can you do it or can you not? I think this could be one of those games where there's going to be a lot of goals or it could be one of those games where it's no goals and they go straight to penalties. You know, it could really go either way. And I'm just interested to see how it unfolds. Uh, and in other news, Luca Del Torre, the former Old Scarlet and U.S. Youth International, made the move to the Netherlands. George, do you have any thoughts on that move? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, Luca Del Torre getting moved to Heracles Almelo, you know, mid-table Eredivisie club, you know, averages around the eighth place finish. And, you know, I'm not opposed to the move at all. I think any time a player gets a chance to, you know, get minutes in a, first division even if it's Netherlands which is in a top five league you know I think it's still a good move and Luca Del Torre is still only 22 years old which I think you know some people might forget about you know we always talk about how these youth prospects you know seem like they're much older than they you know really are because we've known them since they were 15 16 years old and you have to remember Luca Del Torre going all the way back to that U17 World Cup team he was the starting eight he made the team over a guy like Weston McKinney he started at the eight, you know, over someone like Tyler Adams. He was a key member of that cycle. And then at the U20 World Cup in 2017, he was a midfielder as well, playing a year up. You know, it was a 97 cycle. He knew the team as a 98. So this is a guy who was, you know, loved by U.S. youth national team coaches. He's a guy who was key player for a long time. He even got his debut on the national team during the Dave Sarakan days. So Luca De La Torre is a guy who, you know, some people might forget about, but it's kind of like the Ayo Akinola thing. If he starts playing well and he, people are saying he gets called up, I don't think it's a case of, oh, who is this guy? It's a case of you've forgotten what he's done in the past. This is someone that clearly has that pedigree. This is a guy who's been in the system since day one. So I'm excited to see what he does. And, you know, I'm happy he got out of Fulham and got to a place where, Hopefully he'll be a key figure. Yeah, no, I agree. I think it was been a tough seven years for him in Fulham. He had 14 senior appearances in about 380 minutes, only one goal and two assists. But I think one thing that really contributed to him staying, a lot of people mentioned, oh, why didn't he go on loan? Why didn't he leave sooner? I think he had a really good contract situation in Fulham. 
And that's not to say he couldn't have gone on loan, um, but with all due respect to him, you know, maybe this was a situation where he felt he was comfortable and thought he could eventually work his way in. And it didn't work out for him. But like you said, it's finally a good opportunity for him to hopefully get some playing time and get some run of play. And as you mentioned, he's still only 22 years old. So he's still eligible for the U23 Olympic team. And I think he would be a really interesting person to consider for that if he was able to get playing time. Because you talk about the other players who are in discussion for the same position at the number eight position or at the number 10, frankly. He's kind of a more veteran player. You know, he's, he's experienced Europe. He's gotten very close to breaking in with the first team. So I think this is a good opportunity for him to kind of reset his career and see if he can move forward with this team and move forward maybe throughout Europe. So we'll see. Yeah, it'll be interesting because, you know, right now, Luca Del Torre is not the sexy name. You know, he's not the Alex Mendez. He's not the Brendan Aronson. He's not Richie Ledesma. Right now, no one necessarily has full stock on Luca Della Torre. No one's saying, I want Luca Della Torre to succeed. So, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited for him to get the chance. I'm excited for him to put his name back out there. And I always love a redemption story. So, All right, well, that'll wrap up our quick little rundown here. Shortly, we'll be joined by Jonathan Lewis. And again, he is a winger for the Colorado Rapids. Spent a brief time uh, with New York City FC where he was drafted out of Akron. George, quickly, can you name two other players who went to Akron? Uh, there's so many. DeAndre Yedlin, Darlington Nagby, Zarek Valentin. I, Akron probably had the biggest impact on MLS in the early 2010. Scott Caldwell, Teal Bunbury, Darren Maddox, so many guys. They have the record for most players drafted in the first round of the MLS draft. And there's a reason why Caleb Porter is, you know, such a respected name now. So, yeah, great program. All right, well, that will do it for our little introductory part of this episode. Without further ado, here is our interview with Jonathan Lewis. So the first question I'm just curious about is, what was the MLS's back experience like for you? Oh, no, it was good. I mean, obviously, our team, we didn't do as well as we'd like to have, to have done as a team. But I think, you know, as a team, we showed a lot of growth. We also showed, like, a lot of fight and a lot of character. And we also, you know, we actually went through a rough patch now under – Robin and we got to now see the things that we really need to work on because obviously since he's taken over you know we've been one of the best teams in the MLS so it was actually a really good learning experience and now we can take it with us and go and work on the things we need to work on for the start of the season when it returns and obviously I think on a personal note you know I thought I had some really good moments and I was able to score two goals and you know, for me, that was obviously good. But I think the most important thing is how we do as a team. Speaking about that, what is it like playing with nine men? Like that, that has to be some sort of experience and you were able to score in it too. So, you know, kind of once that second red card came, what was, what was that like? Uh, it was different. I mean, I've never, that's the first time in my, in my career that, you know, that's ever happened to me playing with the two men down. So, you know, I think we decided to be really disciplined defensively. And I think we really put up a good fight and, on the sideline, you literally can hear Peter Vermees yelling, like, how the heck are these guys doing what they're doing with nine men? So, And again, in that game, you know, I was able to get on the score sheet and try to help my team to come back. Ultimately, we lost. But, I mean, we put up a really good fight. And obviously, when we had 11 men, I felt like we, you know, we were taking the game to them and we really dominated and showed them what we were about. I know one thing we saw on TV was Greg Berhalter was there. Did you have a chance to speak to him? Yeah, I spoke to him briefly. I mean, he came to assess a lot of us players who are in the national team pool. So, I mean, I know he spoke to numerous players, so I had a brief, brief conversation with him and Jason, and, you know, they liked what they saw from me in the tournament, particularly defensively. They felt like, you know, I'm really stepping that side of my game up and really understanding that side of the other side of the ball, which is defending cards. So that was for the most part, but just that was just the communication that most players probably had is just how we were performing in the tournament and things we need to keep working on and 
things that we do well that we need to continue to do well. And I know you, you've been in a couple of national team camps. Uh, what was that experience like? How would you describe them? And like, how does Greg Berhalter operate them? I think being a player that I've been in a lot of camps since he's taken over as the head coach. And I think that just seeing how the rosters have changed in different camps and how he like how his structure stays the same, the way that he wants to play, but being able to assimilate different players into different into some new roles now. Like I think that it's been good. And obviously it's a lot of information to take in. You know, I think he's a very detailed coach and he presents you a lot of information, but he presents it in a manner that you can understand and be able to execute on the field. And in terms of like the system, you know, what have, what have they been kind of telling you, like how you fit into it? You know, we've kind of seen some new mock-ups of how the team might play. Has there been any kind of direction to you as in where you fit in that? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, Greg does see me as a piece moving forward, uh, potentially to be in World Cup qualifying and be in some of these bigger tournaments. But again, I think that for all of us players in the U.S. national team pool, I think it just depends on how you're performing. You know, I think as a player, if you're not performing well, then I don't think any, any of us are going to be expected to get called up to the national team, except for maybe Christian Pulisic, who, you know, if he doesn't even play, he deserves to be in the team. But other than that, I think the level between him and the rest of the pool, might it, it's that kind of gap. So all of us have to be on our A game, even some of the players who do play in Europe. And I do feel that, you know, if I'm playing well and I'm playing consistently, that I have a chance, a really good chance to be in the team. You mentioned the uh, uh, European guys. Are you in contact with any of those guys on a regular basis? Yeah, I mean, I speak to a lot of the guys that are in my age range. I'm very close with Christian, Weston, Tyler. Uh, these are the guys, obviously, I played in the under-20s with. So I speak to them very often, especially Weston. Uh, but a lot of guys actually over in Europe, Anthony Robinson, I speak to him very often as well. So most of those guys who are in my age range for the most part in the under 23, under 20 age range, that I, I stay in contact with a few of them. Yeah, you speak about Europe. You had a couple of years starting in high school. You know, you go to England for a year at Riasa, end up signing for Bristol City, come back, play in the DA for Kendall, then right away you're off to Akron. Then after a couple months at Akron, you're at NYCFC, now in Colorado. So you've been on the move pretty much since you were like 17, 18. So just going back to when you first made that step to go to England, you know, why did you come to that decision? I mean, I had a chance to put myself in a professional environment at a young age. And, you know, obviously I went over there. I was with their, their academy team for the most part. And I saw it as an opportunity, you know, that I can make an impression on the first team. And ultimately they actually wanted to keep me, but I thought at that time it was best for me to come home. You know, I definitely, that was my first time leaving home and being on my own. And it was definitely very different. And I think that for me, it was, it was just a good experience. It's it made me the player I am today, you know, and obviously now being in the MLS, being away from home on a consistent basis and being away in college, you know, that stuff is easier. And I think definitely if I have the chance to go to Europe, um, I will be able to, it will be a lot easier of an adjustment now because I think it, it helped me mature and I'm ready to be on my own and be on my own in a foreign country. You talk about uh, your, your European experience. I know you played with NYCFC and you played with some like serious legends like David Villa and Andrea Pirlo and even Patrick Vieira as the manager and Jack Harrison as well. Uh, what was it like kind of being in that environment? The biggest thing for me, obviously getting to learn from players like that, but actually being able to compete and do just and be on the same level as them. I think just going in there and saying, wow, I can play like I'm playing with David Villa and Andrea Pirlo, but actually having those guys trust me to be on the field. I think that was for me the biggest experience and the biggest like eye opener for me like that. I could really do this and play at a high level, maybe potentially at the highest level possible. You know, when you have guys like Andrea Pirlo and David Villa 
who are telling you and obviously mentoring you, but also telling you that, you know, you're good enough to play on this, this team and go beyond the MLS. You know, I think that, that it's, a, it's a good thing and it's a very, it's a big confidence boost. Yeah. And so obviously you get to that level, you have these guys, you know, David Villa, Andrea Perlo telling me, you know, you kind of have what it takes and you've kind of tasted all the different routes, you know, you went to Europe, you went to college soccer. So, you know, you see all these different pathways now for young players. You know, what do you kind of think of the landscape of development in this country and all these different options that players do have? I would definitely say that for number one, it's just like, there is a lot of options. I think there's a lot of the sport is growing a lot in America. And I just think like, you know, for young players, you just have to make the decision, the best decision possible. Obviously you have to go where you're going to play and where you're going to be wanted because at the end of the day, you have to play and that's going to be the number one piece of developing. You know, you look at all the best young players who play in America currently. Brendan Aronson's a big name that's circulating right now. He gets he gets a chance to play consistently at the Philadelphia Union, play through his mistakes, play through bad times, play through his good times. So it's wherever you're going to be wanted and wherever you're going to get the trust to play. And I think there's multiple options through the MLS, through the European field. Even in South America, there's some young players going to South America and Mexico now. So just wherever you're going to get the chance to play and actually develop, because as a young player, you're going to make mistakes. And the only way you're going to learn from those mistakes is getting the chance to work through it. Now you're in Colorado and you've found this role as a super sub, especially this season. Uh, you had this tag at NYCRC for a little bit and even for the national team. But for you personally, like how do you go off of building your strong form in the tournament and in general and becoming like a key 90 minute player? I feel like, I wouldn't say, I mean, I know people are saying about this label, about the super sub, but I mean, I definitely think, you know, that's not something I want to be at all. And I would definitely say for me, it's, I think that the next step is I need to be a starter. And for me, that's what I want to make that step as soon as possible. You know, I definitely feel like last year I got a lot of a chance to be a starter. And I thought that I actually showed a lot as a starter last year. So I think definitely I can do it. So I think that's just the next step. I'm a consistent starter. And for me, that's how I'm going to get my chance to play at the national team, play in the European team and, you know, become the best soccer player that I can be. Yeah, definitely. Have you, have you actually talked to Greg Berhalter maybe about uh, your role with the national team in terms of getting the exposure as either a 90 minute player or as a sub? He actually has spoken to me about that and he doesn't see me as a super sub. It's more I played in that role because in the camps I've been to, there have been players who are just ahead of me. So he has so the way he's said it to me is that we think you're a talented player that should be on the field. So we just are getting you on the field. But that's not the role that he sees me as like I'm only better off the bench. It's just that. You know, if a player like Christian Pulisic is in front of me, then I'm going to have to come off the bench. But if I were to, like, beat him out, then he would be the one that comes off the bench. But it's not like I think you're better off the bench. So that's that's definitely been the discussion with him that I've had, is that he doesn't see me as a super sub at all. It's just more that at the times that he's brought me in, guys were just ahead of me, but he wanted to get me on the field. It's just, I think... I think that super sub label just it, it just it sucks. I will say that because I think people say that because if you come off the bench and do well, but if you look at European teams and European young players, you know Marcus Rashford. I follow him a lot in his career. He came off the bench for the first twenty something games and he was doing well, but that's how he earned his stripe to be a starter. And then now as a starter, he's doing even better. So I definitely think like when I get my chance, I will do even better. Yeah, you talk about earning your stripes and, you know, there's so many opportunities coming up, especially for you. You have, you know, they announced the Ocho, you know, some people are calling it, you have the potential of a gold cup. And then especially for you, the Olympics. So 
the stakes are, you know, kind of high in this time for players to prove yourself with so many different opportunities. So what's kind of the motivation for you with, you know, the games coming up possibly now and just going into next year? Uh, I think definitely with national team games coming up, with the MLS season coming up, you know, my personal goal is I think it's not even really about contributing anymore because I think a lot of people see that I can do that. It's really just being a, a consistent starter. And that's been that's my number one goal for the rest of the year. And especially in I want to try to establish that in the senior national team. I think in the 23s, I was basically a starter, but I think in the senior national team, I'm not quite there yet. So I think that's my, my number one goal is just establishing myself as a consistent starter that I can do it for 90 minutes. You mentioned Mar- Marcus Rashford in terms of like a play to the first team and starting. Who are some other players you kind of mold your game around? Uh, I mean, I watch a lot of Raheem Sterling. I watch a lot of Robinho and Kylian Mbappe. So these are players, the new school players that, I would say I watch a lot, but I mean, I just watch a lot of football in general just because, you know, I I feel like I can take something from every single player in my position. You know, there's players that play in obviously possession dominant teams like Sterling and like Messi, you know, but then there's also players like Wilfred Zaha is a big player that I watch because, you know, he plays in a very counterattacking team. And I feel like, you know, we're not as the U.S. and then Colorado, like we're always not going to have the ball. So I feel like being able to play in different systems, whether it's a possession oriented team or a low block counterattacking team, you know, uh, it can help me be versatile and be successful. Yeah, I guess, um, you know, first of all, I'll just say I know you have some uh, Jamaican heritage. So, you know, I'll say happy Independence Day to you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And then also just from, from a personal standpoint, um, my brother played at UConn. So, you know, he knows, you know, Kwame, he knows uh, he used to visit there all the time. So, you know, I'm from Connecticut and know you're a frequent visitor. You know, what do you think of stores? I do like UConn, actually. You know, Kwame, when I first moved to New York, me and him became really close as the, some of the, or the young guys on the team. So he brought me up to Connecticut and I definitely, I really liked it. We went to, a, was it a basketball game we went, he took me to? Uh, I went to one of the soccer games. I went to a basketball game. The atmosphere for the basketball and soccer was ridiculous. The basketball was crazy. So I really liked the campus and I can't lie. You know, if they came after me when I was in high school, knowing what I saw when I was as a pro, I would have definitely really considered going there. Yeah, I guess, you know, just building off of that, you know, these connections you've made, you know, like I said, you've, you've, you know, been to Europe, you went to college, NYCFC, Colorado, the national team, you know, you talked about some of the guys, you know, just what is it like as a pro kind of making all these stops, collecting all these teammates and experiences? How's that kind of played into your dream? Because obviously, as a young player, you know, as a young person growing up, this is, you know, what you want to do for a living and you're experiencing it. I think like as a young player, you know, you actually look around and there's not that many young players in the world that actually only shop at one place and they can establish themselves as that one place, you know, and I can guarantee you as well, you know, you talk about some of the best young players in the world. I mean, Neymar, Neymar played for three different clubs, you know, so I think it's all about challenging yourself and it helps you grow. You know, I think that one of the big things that people always say is don't want to be a journeyman, but if you actually look at the best players in the world, they play for four or five different clubs in their career because that's how they can make themselves themselves become better. And to be honest, the people who play for one club, I I do believe that it can stifle them because like you just you know the same people, you know the same city, the same teammates for the most part. So I think for me, it, it's helped me develop as a person, learning to deal with different personalities, be with different culture. You know, in New York City, it was a very Spanish-oriented team or Hispanic and Latino team. And then in Colorado, you know, we have two Hispanic play- or three Hispanic players on the whole team, you know, and most players are American or speak English. And, you know, so I think 
being amongst different people and different cultures, you know, it helps you mold as a person in the locker room. And it also helps you as a player being able to communicate with different cultures and learning to play different styles of soccer. You talk about having European aspirations, uh, hypothetical, of course, five years from now, where, where's Jonathan Lewis? What, what does it look like for you? You know, I feel like some people might laugh at this, but honestly, I have, I have dreams. I want to play in the Premier League. I believe in five years that I can play in the Premier League. And honestly, I believe that I can be a consistent starter for the national team. So that's what I hope. And I'm going to continue to work as hard as I can to be there. But I do believe that's where I can be. You talked about, you know, all those different teammates, all those different experiences. Just said, you know, you want to play in the Premier League. So hypothetically, who are Jonathan Lewis's top five dream teammates? So five years from now, let's see. Let's think about this. I mean... If I had to choose five players to play with, I can't choose Ronaldo and Messi because they probably will retire in five years. Maybe. Maybe Bruno Fernandez, because I want to score goals and he's really good at passing the ball. Jaden Sancho, Raheem Sterling, Mbappe, or, and I can't think of the last one. You don't want to be on the wings at Liverpool? I don't know. I think they're they're sometimes selfish, the two of them, Mo Salah and Sané. They don't like to pass each other the ball. No, I would would love to play at Liverpool, but I'm kind of... I'm sensing you're a Man U fan. You know, you said Rashford. I heard Bruno. I'm a Man U fan, so I'm just going to take that with me. I will <laughs> say I'm not actually a Man U fan. I just really like to watch them play, though. I think ever since um, they got Bruno Fernandez, I think I, there's a lot of players on their team like Rashford. I think, I think you know, we play pretty similar. So uh, my favorite team to watch in the Premier League, though, to be fair, is Manchester City. <laughs> but my uncle's a Man United fan, so I hear everything about Man United all the time. And I, and I guess just to set the record straight, are you, it's soccer or it's football? Well, my, my family, so my mom is from England. She's part British, part uh, from Trinidad, and my dad is Jamaican. So my family doesn't call it soccer. They call it football. But obviously, I grew up in America, so for the most part, I do say soccer when I'm speaking to most people. But when I'm speaking to my own family, if I say soccer, they say, excuse me? So, so both interchangeably are fine, for the record. Yeah, for the most part. It's definitely interchangeable. I'll say that. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate talking with us. And thanks for being our first guest. Of course. Thank you guys for having me. And that'll wrap it up for our interview with Jonathan Lewis. And that'll be the end of this episode of the One Goal U.S. Soccer Podcast. Again, please rate, review, and subscribe. And for all your U.S. soccer needs, please go to onegoal.us. And again, thanks for listening. We'll be back next week.